Hello and welcome to Season 2 of Strip Back the Pages. I'm NJ, your host, and in this episode, I'll provide an update of what I've been getting up to these past few weeks. I talk to our ambulance volunteer, Andy Bubb, who tells us all about the charity's incredible work and answers that question I've been dying to have answered for weeks. And my interlude of disbelief continues with a death-defying tale of survival. Let's get into it. So, it's great to be back. A special thank you to all of you who have started following me on social media. As you know, I'm now posting not one, but two videos per week. If there's anything you'd like to see featuring, either on the videos or this show, please let me know. The videos are posted Wednesday afternoons and Sunday evenings on Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn and Twitter. As always, I'll leave my main contact details on the show notes. But of course, you're always welcome to contact me on Facebook, Instagram and LinkedIn as well. During the past few weeks, I've been working tirelessly on my novel and novella, doing some fine-tuning and editing. The main novel will be out within the next few months, and the first of the spin-off series of novellas will be available in time for Christmas, which right now seems so far away. But it's not, is it? Don't you find that as we get older, time just seems to pass so quickly? As we get closer to the launch date, I will of course reveal more about these stories and characters. My adaptation of The Boy Who Cried Wolf is evolving very nicely, and I'll have an update and some new questions relating to that in the next episode. One of my highlights these past couple of weeks was going to meet my guest, Andy Bubb, a volunteer of the Air Ambulance, who is one of those responsible for the many books and DVDs at their appropriately named store, The Hangar, in Malta Mowbray. Let's meet him. So Andy, first of all, thank you very much for coming on the show. You're very welcome. And uh, I mean, obviously, we're at the Air Ambulance, The Hangar, and I've got, to, I've got to say this, there's a picture here, I'm going to get some photos, absolutely brilliant, of the helicopter, the paramedics, wow. So anyway, yes, your name's Andy Bubb. It is. And the first thing you told me is people get the surname wrong. They do. How dare they? It has been spelt Bud, B-U-D-D. Yeah. Bug, B-U-G-G. And it was even spelt Vuv, V-U-V-V. How on earth did they manage that? Well, I think it's really just a pronunciation. As you pronounce it, you say B-U-B-B, and they assume that you're saying V-U-V-V. <laughs> I struggle with that one. I mean, you told me, Andy Bubb. That's it. Yep. I mean... <laughs> yeah. I mean, basically, it's, it's fairly simple. Um, the only thing is, is that when you're spelling it out, people then think they hear what they haven't heard. Yes. And yeah. they then start to think about, was it V-U-V-V or V-U-B-B <laughs> or whatever. Uh, obviously, you're working at the hangar. I do. So how long has it been open? It was opened on the 19th of November 2021. Right. So that is around about a year and a quarter. Yeah. Because it must take a lot to organise these openings, you know, promotion and... That's right. I mean, basically, the, uh, the manager here 
uh, and the management team actually work very, very hard yeah. um, to actually get this the way it's looking now. Um, when I first came, it was a shell. Yeah. Uh, and basically people were putting shelves together and that's it. When I walked in the first day, mm. it was like you see it now. Yeah. Absolutely fantastic. Yeah. Um, we sell just about everything you can possibly think of. Yeah. And it, it's set in a nice area as well, you know, Melton Mowbray. Of course. Nice. That's right, yeah. No, the only I mean, thing we don't sell is pork pies. Oh. Well, I don't think, well, we, sell, well, I don't think we sell pork pies in the, in the cafe. <laughs> um, we sell very good cakes. Right. Um, I can't really eat too much cake. <laughs> mm. it's, it's one of those tempting things isn't it maybe occasionally it, it certainly is uh, when I'm actually sort of filling filling shelves um, with books that sort of thing yeah I uh, basically say to people well I'll have all this completed in about 10 minutes yeah. so if you want to go and have a cup of tea and a nice, nice cake by the time you finish that I'll be finished yeah yeah. And, of course, that then increases our takings, mm. <laughs> which is what it's all about. Absolutely. Because <laughs> you've worked here from day one, haven't you? I have worked here from day one, actually. They refer to me as the number one volunteer. Brilliant. Now, that's not because I'm good. All our volunteers are good. Yeah. They all perform a fantastic job. But basically, they call me the number one because I was the only volunteer here on day one. Right. I mean, how many volunteers have they got? You know, I mean, here, how many volunteers? I only work two days a week. Yeah. And only for sort of limited hours, mm-hmm. uh, probably around about five hours a day. Yeah. Um, so I only see a fraction of the volunteers that we have here. I would make a guess that we must be looking at 20, 25, 30 yeah. volunteers yeah. here at all times. Brilliant. So, is it mainly just the books you deal with, or is there other media? Um, I really deal with anything that they really want me to deal with. Um, I I tend to actually deal with um, the books mainly. Yes. uh, But I also deal with DVDs, CDs, hardbacks. They're really my my sphere of influence, if you like. Uh, But again, it's only two days a week. Mm -hmm. Um, So I'm not the only person that deals with it. Obviously, yeah. there's people filling the, the shelves at all times. But basically, they call me the bookman. So uh, that probably shows you that, uh, that I actually sort of, you know, love the job of dealing with books. Yes. I mean, do, do you read much yourself? Not really. I um, tend to actually read reference books to do with my hobby, which is actually industrial archaeology. Right. Um, and uh, that relates to dismantled railways. So I'm not really interested in the Flying Scotsman or um, the Southern Bell or anything like that. I'm actually interested in what the site looked like at the time it was actually in use. Right. Then looking at what it looks like now and, you know, sort of perhaps walking the line, seeing whether there's any um, anything left that um, could actually lead us into saying that the railway was here sort of thing. Yeah. So it is, it's almost behind the scenes having that interest of, of what goes on, the setting up and the, 
Yeah, that's right. Mm. Yeah, I mean, basically, a lot of the um, a lot of the work I do here is actually talking to people, and you know, they they sort of ask me about you know whether I've got a certain author, whether I've got certain books. Yes. Um, I usually try and if I can find out whether they are from a long way away. Yeah. Sometimes they say, well, you know, I'm from Peterborough. I only come over about sort of once a quarter, mm-hmm. and at that point, I then more or less sort of say, well, I'll have a look. I'll have a look for you to see whether we've actually got that in the warehouse. And um, largely, you can sort of go out with a book and sort of say, say that's just what I wanted, you know. And uh, basically, if, I, if, if I'm doing that, um, then I'm quite happy with, with what I'm doing. Mm. And I think the management seem to be quite happy with what I'm doing yeah. as well. And I, I guess you're, you're then, if somebody asks for a particular author, you're put one by for them next time they come up and... Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, can, I can do that. Yeah. Um, it gets difficult because the thing is, we've only got a certain amount of storage space in yes. the warehouse. And if we actually sort of kept bits and pieces for everyone, we'd be just uninundated. Mm. So I sometimes make the point, well, you know, I will leave it on this particular shelf. Yes. Uh, for when you actually come in. Yeah. If it gets taken by someone else, you know, obviously that's that's life. But um, that's what I tend to do. I tend to actually sort of reserve a little a little shelf and sort of say, well, if I if I do find it, it will be on this shelf. Yeah. They say, oh, that's great. Fine. Thanks. Yeah. You know. One of the things I've been doing in the shows, I've done a lot of research on why people read, what genres they prefer, and in fact, that's what led me in here in the first place to try and. Just find out from, you know, the experts, the charity shops, what people like. Yeah. So what do they like? What do people like the most? Well, the, 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 the authors that they actually particularly ask for is Lee Child, yes. who's actually a writer of thrillers. Yeah. Peter May, who's a crime writer. James Patterson, who writes thrillers and romance. Clive Cussler, I think it is. Um, right. That's actually, uh, he writes thrillers. Um, and that's generally the sort of men that look quite like, like those. Um, mm. some, some ladies do, but um, it's generally the men that actually like those sort of writers. Yeah. And then on the ladies' side, we've actually got um, Jeffrey Archer, yes. who seems to be the darling of every, of every lady. <laughs> um, Tilly Court, who writes uh, historical fiction and yeah. sagas. Philippa Gregory, who deals with historical novels. Danielle Steele, who uh, writes romantic novels. Yes. And um, Mills and Boone, uh, the romantic type uh, novels. Yeah. They just fly off the shelves. Basically, people like cookery. Yes. Uh, gardening. Yeah. Um, they look like railways, steam engines. Uh, men tend to actually like military type things. Yeah. Aircraft, tanks campaigns and, and really sort of walking ordnance survey um, that sort of thing yeah uh, basically we've got really probably about five sections that actually sort of have got books in them mm. one is basically cookery um, one is reference one is really nice autobiographies the large area of books tends to actually sort of be fiction yeah and you know hardbacks that sort of thing yeah, I mean, basically, they seem to be the, the, the things that people like most. Mm. 
And, and that basically is because we can only sell what's donated to us. Absolutely. Um, and yeah. therefore, that tends to actually be sort of ones that come in. Yeah. Oh, it's a good, um, it's a good benchmark. And, and basically, the, the good thing about us is that people buy a book, they buy a paperback, they don't really want to keep the paperback. Yeah. So they donate it back to us. Mm. So we've got this recurring generation of, uh, of funds. And um, we never throw books away. No. They either go in our container for use again, mm. or they go to online suppliers that um, will actually sell the book yeah. and actually give us the proceeds. Some are very expensive books, and they will actually go on eBay. Right. And we get money back from, from that. And um, really, you know, no, nothing is thrown away unless it's a really dirty book. Yeah. Uh, because we, yes. we will only deal with the best of the best. Yeah. Just out of interest, what about a sci-fi fantasy? Do you stock much of that? We've got our, we've got our own little, little area, actually, for right. um, things like Marvel... Star Trek, um, yes. those sort of things. Harry Potter. Uh, Harry Potter. Uh, we've got various T-shirts. Right. Uh, Marvel T-shirts, yeah. uh, Harry Potter T-shirts. We've got little figurines of mm. Star Troopers, uh, that sort of thing. Darth Vader's. We've got just everything on that. A- anything that, um, you know, people think that, um, well, you know, they're, they're not likely to have that. Yeah. We have. I find it interesting that you've got a a separate section for it. Yeah. We've recently started it up uh, because we actually sort of found that there was a a market for it. Yeah. A lot of people are interested in that sort of thing. Mm. And Roxy, our uh, warehouse manager, or one of our warehouse managers, um, she actually started it up. You know, we always say, is that okay for your corner? Yeah, 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 that's fine. Brilliant. Yeah, and that sort of thing. Brilliant. You know, we've got zombie zombie books and that <laughs> yeah, sort of thing, you know, yeah. the you know, the Walking Dead. So horror as well. Yeah, that's right, yeah, yeah. yeah. We've we've got just about everything that people could possibly want. Mm. So if you if you were to say the top three favourite genres, what would you say? I would have thought they would actually be romantic crime. Yeah. And thrillers, mm. I would have thought. Mm. Yeah, that, that really is across, you know, both male and female. Yeah. A lot of people actually want, like romance. Uh, ladies tend to actually like it more than men. But mm. I think men, you know, really do quite like it as well. Yeah. So obviously, the air ambulance, it totally relies on voluntary donations, doesn't it? It does indeed. It's really sort of people coming through the door, donating things, buying things, and actually sort of giving perhaps monetary donations to the air ambulance as well. It's those sort of things that keeps the air ambulance going. Yeah. When you consider that it it costs about £1,700 for each takeoff of the air mm. ambulance, then you actually sort of get some idea as to how much money we've got to actually bring in yes. here. Yeah. I mean, books in our first year made about £26,000. Wow. Um, now, when you, when you actually think about that, 
you sort of think, well, I'm just trying to do the, the maths on that. But basically, it's somewhere around about 12 takeoffs mm. of, the, of the air ambulance. Yeah. And that's for a whole year. Yeah. You know, I mean, obviously, white goods and um, bedding, that sort of thing. Yeah. That actually sells an awful lot more. Mm. You know, I mean, you'll, you make more selling a washing machine yeah. than I, I would, yeah. you know, sort of three months of selling books. But it gives you some idea as to the amount of money that we do need. There are no government funding. There's no money coming in from local government, anything yeah. like that. It's all on donations, and yeah. that's what we really need. Mm. We need people donating things, uh, people giving us monetary donations, and people buying things. Yeah. I mean, I'll tell you something I do. I think it's a brilliant idea, and I would encourage all our listeners to, to do this. When you finish with your Coke cans, any cans, give them a wash, crush them, Take them down to Sainsbury's because there's an air ambulance box there, isn't there? Yep. For all yep. these. That's right, yeah. Yeah. We've got probably somewhere around about twenty locations yeah. around the mountain area. They go from football grounds, um, supermarkets, you know, they're they're really everywhere. Yeah. Um, and uh, basically I would agree with that. You know, don't just throw your cans away. Put them in the bin for the air ambulance. Absolutely. And that sort of thing. The other thing that I would actually say to people as well is that if they actually pay tax, if they can actually gift aid mm. what they give us yeah. as well, because that is the way in which we actually take money yeah. from the tax man. And everyone wants to take money from the tax man. <laughs> you know, I, I think it's somewhere around about 25%. Yeah that we actually get from the tax man back mm. when we actually sort of sell yeah. something that's gift-aided. Yeah, Now, it doesn't, it, it doesn't really matter whether it's a, a 20 pence DVD and that sort of thing. Every little bit helps. And it's these little 5 pences, 20 Ps, 50 Ps that actually build up. Oh, they all add up, absolutely. And, and, and that's the thing, you know, it's, um, it's not, not just the pounds, it's, um, it's the pennies. Mm. that we need as well. I mean, how many takeoffs are there a day? Do you know? I'm not really too sure. We have actually got um, statistics on that as to how many takeoff for Leicestershire, Derbyshire, but um, I don't really have that information. Um, It tends to actually sort of be on a uh, monthly basis. Right. And I would guess there's probably somewhere around about in Leicestershire. um, I think I've actually seen... Some figures that say there are, I think, somewhere around about 14 takeoffs right. a month. But please don't hold me to that. No, um, no, it's not just at all. a figure that I seem to think yeah. that I've actually seen. But obviously, it depends. And, when, and it's not just the takeoffs that we're actually talking about here. Um, the takeoffs occur during the day yes. when the roads are likely to be clogged. But when the roads are clear at night, yeah. uh, we've actually got a fast response vehicle. Right. That actually sort of goes out, much as the air ambulance would. Yeah. Goes out to um, a sort of crash, someone injured, someone having, say, a heart attack even. Mm. Uh, and basically it goes out and actually deals with the casualty. Yeah. And actually takes them to hospital. Right. So basically... Um, not many people know that, as Michael Kane would say. Uh, but um, basically, it's not just the air ambulance. We've actually got fast response as well. Right, brilliant. So going back to this building here, it is, it's, when you walk in, it's huge. Yeah. 
you know, I, I just love it that there's a nice atmosphere, ambience. It's just, yeah. you know, it, it's warm, it's welcoming, it's brilliant. Well, that's what we want to generate. Mm. Oh, um, you know, we actually you greet that. people when they come in. Yeah. And you don't usually get that at a supermarket or anything like no. that. And we are, let's face it, quite a, you know, almost a supermarket, really, because mm. we're, we're dealing with lots and lots of items. Yeah. And, you know, you don't usually get greeted with, good morning, madam, good morning, sir, you know, how are you, you know, and that sort of thing when you come in. But I always try and do that. Yeah. It makes a difference, doesn't it? It does. It, it, does, it, it does, does make a difference. Yeah, I mean, um, people generally like to talk. Mm. And they like to be greeted, you know, with, with the problems of the pandemic and mental health and that sort of thing. You know, it's, it's good for people to talk yes. and to actually be able to open up to people. And I think this is, this is a place where people can do that. You know, they can actually sort of, if they want to actually keep aloof, then they can. Yeah. They don't have to respond or they just say, yeah, I'm fine, thanks. Mm. Uh, but basically, if they want to say, oh, excuse me, but can I just have a word with you on this? You know, and that sort of thing. So I'll say, yeah, go on, yeah. Let's, let's, have a, let's have a cup of tea and, you know, and actually sort of discuss something, you know, and that sort of thing. So it is, it is very, very welcoming. So you're actually a bit of an agony uncle as well. Well, um, you, you can be, actually. Mm. I mean, I wouldn't say that I, I, I'm that sort of person but I mean if someone wants to talk then um, you know then I'll, I'll clearly talk to them I'm not I'm not trained as a counsellor no or anything like that I'm just another human being that yeah. actually sort of just um, just is prepared to, to talk to people really mm. and I think most people will tell you that I'll talk for England you know that sort <laughs> of thing I mean sometimes in the warehouse they sort of say you know oh hi Andy are you, are you still here you know say, oh yeah yeah I've been I've been talking to people. They say, "Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We know that." Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Any idea how many air ambulance charity shops there are in the UK? I can think of probably somewhere about six air ambulance shops that uh, we've got within Leicestershire and Rutland. Now, right. I may be wildly out on that, but if you then multiply that by the number of counties mm. that there are, which is probably about 140. Yeah. And I think you get some idea as to how many air ambulance shops we've actually got. Mm. I mean, sometimes you've got very small shops, but we're obviously one of the sort of superstores yeah. of the air ambulance. So basically, we're really looking to actually sort of make lots and lots of money for the air ambulance, whereas mm. the small stores... Uh, do a great job, but um, obviously they're not going to be making so much money as we would be. No. So another thing, Andy, what would you say the turnover of books was and what's the most unusual? Right, well, I would say um, that we have probably some around about 600 paperbacks on display at any one time. Right. And we change half of those over every week. Right. It's probably somewhere around about 300 books that actually get changed over every week. Right. Um, and, we, and we do that because we, we feel that if they, um, if they haven't sold in those two weeks, then they're not likely to sell. Mm. Or they're not likely to sell here. Now, they may go to another store and actually sell there. Yeah. Or they may go into our container and actually come back perhaps two months later. Mm. Onto sale, 
But basically, um, it's around about, the turnover is probably somewhere around about 300 books right. a week. If we've got a lot in, um, then we, we'll, we'll do 600. Yeah. But basically, it's very unusual to do all 600, because that takes quite a lot of time. Yeah. I think the, um, the most interesting book that we have, or a set of books, was, I think it was actually called The Dictionary of Scottish Words in the Scottish Dialect. Okay. And that was 10 volumes. And we sold that for the princely sum of £35. Wow. And I think on eBay, that would have cost you about 65 Yeah. Because we more or less set the prices at somewhere around about, on books at least, and uh, DVDs, that sort of thing. And we set them at half the price of eBay. Yeah. So you're better to come to us than go to eBay. Yeah. There's a great plug. <laughs> We've talked a lot about books. I mean, DVDs. What's the most popular DVDs, would you say? We tend to actually sort of get a lot of people interested in horror. Right, interesting. Yeah, a lot of people actually sort of like horror, gore, um, that, that sort of thing. Thrillers, James Bond, sometimes historical ones as well. We've got um, ladies that come in. They say, well, I don't want anything you know, sort of nasty or anything like that. You know, I want the sort of um, the genteel Downton Abbey yeah. type things, the period dramas. Yeah. So we do actually sort of get those, but um, it tends to actually be crime thrillers, James Bond, horror, those those sort of things. Yeah, a bit of Stephen King. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that, <laughs> that's right. Yeah, yeah, that's it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, in fact, does Stephen King sell well? Fairly well. Mm. Fairly well. I don't... I, didn't actually mention him, actually, no. in my bits and pieces. But, um, yeah, Stephen King, he is usually sort of um, fairly sought after by yeah. people. Yeah. yeah, that's right, yeah. yeah. Mm. Well, I'll say one thing. This has been absolutely brilliant. I've really enjoyed speaking with you. Excellent. I've enjoyed this as well, actually. Yeah. Um, again, thank you very much. No problem. Obviously, folks, the Air Ambulance, an amazing charity, a very much needed charity... Uh, you can find all the details on the following website, which is theairambulanceservice.org.uk. Again, I'll put the links of that in the show notes. So again, Andy, thank you very, very much, and keep up the fantastic work. Well, thank you very much for allowing me to take part in this uh, interview and for putting a spotlight on the Air Ambulance, which, as you say, is a fantastic charity. Absolutely. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Bye then. Bye. Andy Bubb, everyone. Volunteer of Air Ambulance Superstore, The Hangar. I'd also like to thank Kerry Martin, who manages the Superstore, and Leanne Fitches, who is the Air Ambulance's press officer, for making this possible. Thank you. For this episode's interlude of disbelief, I knew we had to do something special. And while not an air ambulance story, this is a report of not one, but two incredible rescues. On the 2nd of January 2019, a group of skiers trapped on the French Alps were dramatically rescued by helicopter. One of the skiers, who had a knee injury, managed to call for help using his mobile phone. He said that there was a lot of wind coming down and by some miracle, on reaching for his phone, he found four bars and 4G. The rescue bid was on. 
The pilot involved said the rescuers chose to perform the highly dangerous pressing the skids manoeuvre due to bad weather conditions. He flew right up to the edge of the mountain and landed his aircraft's front right landing skid on the snow-covered slopes while his rotor blades were spinning inches away from solid rock. Had he misjudged it, or if there had been a sudden gust of wind, the helicopter and those aboard would have been sent to their deaths. The incredible rescue, captured on video by Nicholas Derley, reportedly took place at an altitude above 2,000 metres on the Pass of Alterne, in Passy, France. A friend of Mr Derley's son, Emmanuel de Bellevoigne, began to struggle due to a weak knee. French Mountain Police had arrived on scene and helped hoist the injured skier into the hovering aircraft. He was then taken to Chamonix Hospital. What a rescue. Here's the second. In a spectacular feat of aerial brilliance back in May 2013, ace Italian helicopter pilot Simone Morrow pulled off the highest ever helicopter rescue on Everest. At 1.30pm on the 21st of May, an injured Nepali-Canadian climber was lifted to safety on a long line from a staggering 7,800 metres, which is 25,590 feet. The long line rescue is formerly known as the Helicopter Flight Rescue System. The climber got into difficulties in the afternoon of the 20th of May. Pasang Tenzing, who led a Sherpa team working for Jagged Globe, who for 36 years had been at the forefront of planning and leading mountaineering expeditions, rescued him from a height of 8,500 metres in the evening, reaching the South Coal Camp, which stood at a height of 7,950 metres at 8pm. The next day, they lowered him down to 7,800 metres, where the helicopter pickup was possible. Did you know that the person being rescued and dangling in the harness below the helicopter isn't hoisted into the craft before flying away? In actual fact, the person remains at the end of the long line until a safe landing zone is found. Once identified, the helicopter touches down and it is only then that the injured person is brought into the cabin. Once safely aboard, the helicopter flies to the hospital. Here's another danger that can't be forgotten or overlooked. The wind is one of the highest risk factors when flying in mountainous terrain, as depending on the direction and speed of the wind, its interaction with the terrain can lead to updrafts, downdrafts and turbulence, which could exceed aircraft limitation and performance capabilities. Mountain waves are associated with strong winds blowing perpendicular to the mountain range and are considered a mid to high altitude risk. At those higher altitudes, there is not much air to feed a helicopter's turbine engines, meaning that the aircraft's performance is reduced. Also, rotor blades have less air to bite into, so they can't generate as much lift as they can at lower altitudes. Therefore, the windy conditions found in mountainous terrain makes it even more difficult to hold the aircraft steady. If it gets hit by a gust of wind at 2,438.4 metres, or 8,000 feet, flying can become extremely hazardous. You can find several daring helicopter rescues on YouTube. Take a look. So there you go. Thanks again to my guest Andy Bubb for chatting to me. And I urge you to take a look at the Air Ambulance website and perhaps either make a donation to this life-saving charity or visit one of their stores. Or saying that, how about doing both? If you're ever in the historic market town of Melton Mowbray, before you leave with your tasty pork pie, take a trip to the hangar. Buy a few items and enjoy a nice cup of tea. You will find full details regarding the Air Ambulance at theairambulanceservice.org.uk. Again, you'll find these details in the show notes. Feel free to connect with me either by emailing stripbackthepages at gmail.com or via Twitter at stripbackpages. 
I'd love to hear from you and any ideas you have for the show. Perhaps you could suggest a totally shocking story that I could feature in my interlude with disbelief. As always, thank you for listening and I wish you well. I'll be back in a fortnight, but watch out for those videos. Until next time, this is your host, NJ, signing off.